I'm reading from John, uh, John chapter 12. The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. They shouted, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. And uh, you can transport yourself back a couple of thousand years to the land of Israel and just imagine a great crowd of people waving palm branches. But what would be our equivalent now? What would we be waving? Flags, actually flags, yeah. I thought that. I was thinking, what would we wave? It would be flags. So we've got Liberation Day coming up. There's lots of flags getting waved, I hope. Um, has anybody been in a big flag-waving crowd before? Uh, so things like Soul Survivor would be quite a big flag-waving crowd um, and different sort of big events. And there's a sort of great tide of excitement, I would hope. Um, if you're a part of that, hopefully it's something that's quite exciting. And that's where the people were at this point. It's the beginning of, in the liturgical calendar, Passion Week. Um, and we're going to explore a little bit about Passion Week. So we're thinking a bit about passion as well. It's, this is this moment in time where Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, tri- triumphant entry into the city. So I'd like, to, I'd like us to think about this in three ways this morning, uh, three particular ways, um, three different words. And the first word for us this morning is praise. Praise. What's passion and praise all about? There's a massive moment here of praise, praising Jesus for who he actually is as he comes into the city. Um, And it is called Passion Week because there's something quite passionate about praise, I hope, I think, isn't there? So if I gave you all palm, in fact, you, you can imagine this, if I had a palm branch this morning, how might I be waving it? There's going to be some energy in this flag waving, right? Uh, and as, as I imagine this, uh, as people are around Jesus, and there's this praise, Hosanna, that's why we've sung Hosanna, praise Jesus, he's coming in, all hail to the king. Uh, can you imagine being around with your palm branches a bit like, hmm. There's this sense of passion in praise as Jesus is entering the city. Um, and right at the get-go, I'd love us to think a little bit about um, how God, by His Spirit, asks us to praise Him sort of in that way. Now, it needn't be jazz hands, excited, fill air, crazy. I do have a particular character style. I kind of know what I'm like. Sorry, not sorry. Um, but it is about how we praise Him. Now, think about your hands when you're praising. I'd love you to think about where your hands are. Uh, sometimes our hands are raised, right? Uh, some of us have, we like, we take the space. Has anybody been next to a space taker in worship? Um, we went to Hillsong's Rach and I some years ago in London, um, and we found ourselves, A, elderly in Hillsong's context, we're old in Hillsong's context, uh, and B, next to a space taker. <laughs> she's good, she's like lost in worship, but I think sometimes God asks us to use our hands in worship, so some of us take space, for some it might be hands out, it might be a little bit more introverted, quiet, but I think he asks us to raise our hands in worship sometimes, literally, as much as a heartfelt hands out, right? Uh, Because there's a passion about it. There's a passion in worship. Uh, What's the opposite of passion? Suffering is part of passion, Jerry. We'll come on to that in a sec. Suffering is part of passion. Apathy, fed-upness, boredom. A bit of, I don't know, 
right? Um, and sometimes I do think we approach Jesus with a little bit of apathy if we're not careful. Now, the fact you're here today means you're not. There's a sense of, I want to be part of a worshipping community. Um, but if we are all honest, there are times, aren't there, where we're a bit like, mm, kind of rather not. Can I sort of sit in the back corner today, get through this thing with a couple of cups of coffee, maybe some mints, maybe a bit of a chat, and then kind of leave. Hmm. And I think there are moments in those where the act of worship is one that is a choice. And what I love about hearing some of the stories in this church, without naming any names, you might get nervous, I'm not going to name any names, is that I just know some of you have pressed through these moments of struggle in worship and made a choice. I'm going to choose to worship God. I'm going to choose to pursue him. I'm going to choose to find him. We make a choice in the midst of struggles to worship him. And I think, you know, that's the root of passion in worship. There's a suffering sometimes, as Jerry's rightly said, in worship. The root of the word passion is suffering. It's I'm giving myself the blood, sweat, and tears to pursue something or someone that is so important that I'm going to pursue him regardless of the circumstances I'm in. Uh, give me a cup of coffee, and I'm happy as Larry, right? I just have that disposition, and that's just me, right? Um, and I know that some of you, and sometimes even me, um, a coffee isn't enough to discover that passion. We need something of the Spirit of God at work in our lives to pursue him, even when times are tough. I think of Paul in prison, and he's worshipping. Um, I think even of Jonah in the whale, there's a sort of sense of worship. He kind of writes a song in the middle of the whale. There's a songwriting recommendation for you, Simon. It's just like, if you want to write a song, get swallowed by a whale, right? Um, So even in the midst of struggle, darkness, uh, I don't know what it's like to be swallowed by a whale. I don't know what it's like to be in prison. Um, But even there, even there, even there, we can pursue Jesus in praise with passion. It might mean jazz hands, it might mean something quieter, but it certainly means pursuing him in praise. And I don't think we can manufacture that. I think we can make some choices perhaps, but it's the Holy Spirit who brings us in and through those moments. It's God's power that I think evokes that praise in us, particularly when times are tough. I love some of the stories here. There's one in particular. There's a lady uh, in the church some years ago shared about how um, the song Blessed Be Your Name um, was a difficult one for them. Um, Yet they they chose still to sing it. And God spoke to this person uh, even in the midst of struggle. Uh, So even around this moment, uh, as Jesus is coming into the city of Jerusalem and all the extroverts are waving their palm trees with some crazy gusto, and maybe even some of the introverts are even getting involved, brilliant, Uh, there is a whole little crowd around uh, of sort of muttering mutterers, muttering about, hmm, mutter, mutter, mutter. And they were described as the Pharisees, this isn't good. Uh, We can't wait to kill Jesus. And I think in those moments, that's where we need the Spirit of God to bring us on. Power of praise. If you're feeling a little bit like it's a struggle, and the the, uh, worship of God, the praise of Jesus, is a struggle even this morning, we'll be praying that God releases some of that struggle and commend you for pursuing him even though, even when life is a struggle.
praising even in the midst of struggle. And if this prompts you to tell each other one or two little stories about when you've worshipped God, even in the midst of struggle, um, I'll encourage it. If there's a practical encouragement here, it's to, it's to encourage you this, that when, when life's a bit tough and it's tricky, and you're at home on a Sunday morning at about half nine thinking, shall I go to church? Please come to church. And, and please, even if it's hard, and even if you think, oh, it's going to be a loud band, and it's Phil speaking, and it's going to be a bit crazy, right? Please do come, because God really honors that. It's, like, it's the equivalent of picking up the palm leaf and I'm going to make a choice here somewhere, even though it's difficult, um, to praise you, Lord. Please help me praise you. But everything else aside, all the stuff, and all I want to do this morning is praise you. That, that would be fabulous. Well done if you do. Uh, part two, point two, is uh, think again where your hands are. I can't help it. Let's see, let's see those hands again. I get one Sunday, people, one Sunday for this. So let's see your hands. Yeah, brilliant. Um, all right, so think about um, blessing people with your hands. I love, I mean, the whole story of the Gospels of Jesus are a lot about what he did with his hands. He touched lepers. He touched sick people. He touched people who were possessed by the demonic. Um, he spat into mud and he put it in blind people's eyes and healed them. He, he raised dead people from the dead it would be hard to raise. Yeah. He, raised, he raised people from the dead who were dead. Um, I, my, favorite, my favorite story, just as you know this, um, is the widow of Nain uh, story, where Jesus and his disciples are coming into a town called Nain, uh, and they meet this procession, um, a funeral procession of a widow whose son had died, and Jesus simply touches the coffin of the guy who died, and he was raised to life. I love it. He's constantly blessing with his hands, physically touching people with his hands. He blesses the children. Even when they're running around like crazy, he's blessing them. Uh, and in the midst of all of that, often the, the religious people are sort of muttering again, aren't they? You're going to heal that chap on the Sabbath. Ooh. Ooh. That's my paraphrase. Um, can you, even in this story, if you, if you choose to read it through later on, um, the Pharisees are complaining about what the children are singing and praising about God. And the, the children in the temple, the children are sort of saying, praise God from whom all blessings flow, praise him, not quite all creatures here below, but that's how we sing it these days, even the children. And the Pharisees say to Jesus, can you not hear what the kids are saying? Hmm. Bunch of joy suckers. Um, Jesus like lays his hands on people and blesses, blesses, blesses all the time. In fact, he's breaking every single religious taboo that you can think of in his three years of ministry. Um, I, I, haven't, I don't do this often. Please don't think of me as particularly spiritual. Please don't. Um, but I'm reading the Bible in a year at the moment. So um, if you're reading the Bible in the year, often you read a, lot, a chunk of the Old Testament early. It's like, we're going to get this stuff out the way whilst you're still enthusiastic to read the Bible in a year, right? I mean, some of it's pretty. And then they, and then they sacrificed the bull and they sacrificed it. And my, my goodness me, it's all tricky. But in fact, as I'm sort of immersing myself a little bit in the ancient Israelite history, um, there's so much religious taboo that gets built. You can't touch a leper, 
or else you become unclean. You can't touch a dead body or else you become unclean. You just can't touch things. I mean, the old, a lot of the Old Testament might as well be described as don't touch. I mean, make my life a bit easier reading it. It's like chapter after chapter after chapter of do not touch. Yet Jesus is touching everything, everyone, isn't he? He's just sort of saying, look, all this religious malarkey, he has come to change. Rather than resist and reserve and step back from the community, from people who need, from people who are struggling, even from the dead in his case, I want you to embrace and to touch and to use your hands. And the parable of the Good Samaritan is all about that. Can you imagine the Samaritan trying to help that beaten up person without using his hands? Sounds like a tricky little scenario. Don't touch this person, but help them. I mean, how would you do that? How do you bind up, in this case, the brokenhearted or the beaten up without using your hands? How do you put somebody on your own donkey? Has anybody got a donkey? No, okay. In your car would be the modern equivalent then, wouldn't it? Uh, if you pass somebody who's been beaten up or in trouble on the street, how do you put them in your car without using your hands? Uh, if we're working in and helping the community like Jesus, we use our hands. We need to bless people with our hands. That might be literal. It is certainly a heartfelt thing. He asks us to move towards those who are broken, struggling, hurting. Not to resist and pull back. Uh, in fact, um, the whole of Jesus' ministry, the whole of who he is, is very contagious. You've heard this phrase from us before. We can now use it in the context of a pandemic happily. Right? We understand contagion very well, don't we? Anybody traveling over Easter or hoping to? Uh, yeah, we're, 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 going, we're going to Holland. Uh, we are under, all under strict instructions in our household, including the Gilbert household, to not cough nor sneeze for the next three days, right? Nobody. We've got masks on. <laughs> Nobody cough on a plane. Nobody sneeze on a plane. Hold it in, hold it in. Whereas Jesus, spiritually, religiously, community, heartfelt-wise, says quite the opposite. And whatever the equivalent of the coughing person in the corner is, we go towards and bless them. Who's, who needs our help? Who are we blessing? Where are we putting our hands? Where are we putting our minds and our hearts and our resources and our time and energy? And he says, do not retreat from them, but instead go the other way. We bless we can be, I would say our calling is to be contagiously holy, as Jesus was. Rather than fear the potential repercussions of touching a leper, he touched the lepers. Rather than fear the consequences of touching a blind man, he touched the blind man. In fact, he spat in their face, would you believe? Can you imagine that? Please don't, please don't. I went to church, and the preacher said, I should spit in your face, <laughs> is not what I'm saying. Just, just to be clear, just to be clear, <laughs> what I am saying is those that we tend to want to avoid are the ones sometimes Jesus calls us to approach. He does. He said, bless them. By his Holy Spirit, he holifies us. Okay, this is what he does. He fills us with his spirit and he says, I can give you the power, I will give you the power to go and bless. So go bless. Use your hands to bless. All the way through the Gospels, including in this story, um, people are asking the wrong questions all the way through. 
And I think if we're not careful, we ask the wrong questions about people. So one of the questions that we hear in, in today's passage, if you read around it, is the Pharisees saying, by whose authority do you do these things? Rather than getting involved. It's like they're whinging about the authority. And a bit later, as I've said, they, they ask questions about, look, why are the children praising you as well? It's the wrong question. Instead, let's use our hands to bless. So first, praise, especially when life's hard, and commend you for doing it. Ask God to bring you here. Uh, second is like to use your hands, to use yourselves as a blessing. Lay hands on people. and Don't allow the religious stuff to cause us to retreat. The third is to participate. So um, again, I don't, know, I don't know your imagination of this moment in time when Jesus is coming into the city. Um, as, as I heard this growing up, I just imagined crowds along the side and sort of Jesus walking up the road, you know, with the crowds along the side. That's, that's not how it happened. They were all in this melee together, which I think is far better. He asks us to participate, not just observe and wave our palmy palms. Like, hi, Jesus. You're doing a great thing over there. Love it. He says, get involved, get stuck in. We're all in this together. Let's, let's get in there. And the crowds were all around. It wasn't just a procession. Um, hands up if you can drive. It's not a trick question. Not a trick question. <laughs> you can drive, right? Yeah. Uh, keep your hands up if you learn how to drive by reading a book. We kind of learn to drive by driving, don't we? Uh, we, we learn a lot of things by the doing of it by the practice of it, by getting behind a wheel and driving a car, hopefully with someone who knows what they're doing alongside to stop you crashing the car. But nevertheless, you're learning to drive. Um, anything we do, often it is the practice of it that helps us to learn what we're doing. Uh, and one of the things I'm enjoying about Shiloh is that we're kind of moving beyond the Sunday becoming a place for feeding um, to somewhere that, in fact, is part of us just doing what we do. Have you heard the phrase about being fed at church? I think we're so fed, we're pretty fat if we're not careful. <laughs> I had a lovely breakfast, by the way. Just a little segue into breakfast. Do you want to know my breakfast? I'm very, you're going to hear it, because I'm very proud of my breakfast. Uh, I have had sausages, hash browns, bacon. I didn't have an egg. Toast, uh, yogurt uh, with fruit, um, a croissant, croissant, a um, little muffin, and something else. A little bit of fruit as well. Nice breakfast. I'm well fed. Now, I could keep eating, I could keep eating, I could keep eating, I could keep eating, and then there'd be a problem, wouldn't there? Yes, there would. Uh, and, you know, if we, treat, if we treat church in the same way, if we treat our faith journey in the same way, all we do is eat, I need to be fed, and never practice, we're going to be, well, you can finish the sentence, in trouble. Okay, um, I'm fed up of being fed up. <laughs> we should practice participate, get involved. He's asking all of us. This is the thing I love about the Baptist. Do you know we're a Baptist church? Did you know that? And sometimes I do wonder. We're a bit of a Baptist church. We're not classic, strict Baptist. Thank goodness for that. But the Baptist ecclesiology is that we're all in it together. We're all priests in the kingdom of God. You don't have a vicar with a collar who's saying, do this or else. Da -da. We're all in it. He says, we're all called. We're part of a body. Whichever part is entirely of your imagination and calling, but we're all part of God's body. He says, participate. That could mean singing, playing in a band on church on a Sunday. It could mean helping people in the community 
on a Monday. It could be anything. It could be teaching children in a school as part of your job. But he says, we're all in this together. We participate. Don't just observe. In fact, the observers are the ones that end up muttering. Mutter, mutter, mutter. The observers are the ones, in fact, in this story, that can't bless the kids. The observers are the ones in this story that, in fact, can't praise Jesus. They're just observing. And they get apathetic and miserable. This is rhetorical. This is a rhetorical statement, as in, please don't answer it. And do you want to be apathetic and miserable? And I, I know you're going to say no. <laughs> please say no. Um, none of us really want to be apathetic and miserable, I think, I hope. But the, so the place of not becoming apathetic and miserable is participation. Participate in what God's doing. And what did they do with their coats? They laid them down. I think sometimes Jesus asks us to lay our coats down, lay ourselves down before him. That's where we participate the best. So I know this is a bit tricky because we've got our jazz hands, waving palms, excited Phil at the front, yeah. And then I'm saying, and we lay ourselves down. That's the position that he asks of us. Not sort of, it's all me. I lay myself down before you. Humbly. Where would your hands be if you were in a sort of humble moment? I don't know, down, somewhere. It's part of this where Jesus says, like, actually, I need you to lay yourself down before me. And pride will kill us, right? So he asks us for that humble in front of him, laying ourselves down before him as he calls us to him. It's that humble participation. So this morning, I know, I'm pretty convinced he's calling some of us to him again. It's just like, Phil, join this little crowd. There's a party going on over here. Come over here. How does he call us? Well, who, who did he call? You can tell me. Some of the people that Jesus called and coaxed to him. His disciples. So he called some of his disciples off their boats. Come, follow me. They followed. Um, who else can you imagine Jesus calling from his stories? Tax collectors, yeah, he called Zacchaeus out the tree. That's the image I have. So, like, Zacchaeus, come down out the tree. That's more of a please come out the tree. Stop watching me. Come out the tree and participate. Uh, and this morning, some of you might be being coaxed out of your proverbial trees. If you literally live in a tree, well done. Uh, I think this is more of a spiritual thing. Let's come out of our trees as Jesus gently calls us out the tree. Come out the tree, Zacchaeus. How do you hear Jesus saying this to you? Uh, for some of us, it will be, all right, Zaki, come out the tree. For some, it's a bit more formal, but he's calling you out of the tree. And for some, he's actually calling you up out of the dirt. There are some people who literally couldn't see, but he calls to participate. If you're not quite sure if he's calling you to participate, to be with him, to be part of the crowd, I can promise you he is. Because otherwise, this is just pointless. He loves us to worship. He loves us to participate. He fills us with his spirit. He gives us the power to bless others, but he calls us into his place. 